Reed's Ranch is proud to partner with Marcos Garza and the Garza Law Firm. Before you say guilty, say Garza. Marcos and his team are one of the most trusted names in quality DUI defense across the state of Tennessee, and he'll put his entire team to work for you, getting you the best result possible. GarzaLaw.com, 865-540-8300. The answer calls 24-7. If you call, you will get a hold of someone, and they will get in touch with you and get your case rolling. If you get in trouble, you're going to want the best result possible in your case. That's what hiring Garza and his team uh, helps ensure for you. GarzaLaw.com. Going to talk Tennessee basketball. A lot of Tennessee basketball with Will Warren in his weekly basketball series. Florida, big game tonight. We'll give you the ins and outs. And we should have another one with Seth coming out probably tomorrow or Monday or Tuesday. Sometime soon. At the beginning of the week, breaking down the hopefully the Florida victory. All right, let's get to the show. I mean, this is the last stand. You're listening to the unfiltered. Well, I hate to say I told you so. There's nothing to be done besides to get on Twitter and tweet to all my dumbass followers. <laughs> but I told you so. Hey, I told you so. The controversial. He's a dumbass. He can't do math. He's an idiot. He gets his hair cut at Walmart. Look at that shitty haircut. The realest podcast in the Southeast. Let the dogs loose. <laughs> Let the goons be goons. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. Enough. <laughs> 38 in a row. As in 38 on this point when we were whipping that ass. Ranch gang, stand up. The holy war is upon us. Welcome to Reed's Ranch, the podcast with Seth Hughes. Like, just quit acting like this is any fun at all. All right, here we are as we head into the second weekend of SEC play. Tennessee so far 2-0, beatdown of Georgia. Quick quick thoughts on the Georgia game. We haven't talked since then. Uh... It was never really in doubt from the tip. I mean, so it was, I think it was 12 to 11 Tennessee at one point. And then from there on, Tennessee outscored them by 45 over the final 30 minutes. It, it was just, you know, I had kind of thought before the game, Georgia might be able to stick with Tennessee by virtue of either, you know, they hit a good amount of threes or they get a lot of buckets inside because they were playing three guys that were six, eight or taller in the mm-hmm. starting lineup. Yeah. And then you have their best offensive player pick up four first half fouls which I've never seen before that was interesting game management from from Tom Crean like I'm a big fan of playing your guy with two fouls in the first half like right. I, I hate when someone puts their I hate the auto bench yeah especially one of their best players on the bench and you saw it happen with Conzo in Missouri where they put their best player on the bench and then he immediately picked up a third foul in the first minute of the second half and you're like well you could have maybe had four or five minutes of him in the first half right where, where maybe the refs are maybe not um, sub or may, maybe subconsciously they are a little less likely to call a third foul on a guy than they are to start you know call one at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, and I've always obvious. been a fan of just kind of letting a guy try to play through it. Tom Crean took it a little too far. He t- yeah he he uh, kept it real for a little too long. Yeah, tried a little too hard. All right, so Georgia are they as bad as they looked against us because they did go to to Vandy and beat up on Vandy. I don't think they're that bad. I mean, it's it was always going to be a team that gets like five or six SEC wins. Okay. And I feel like eventually, maybe later in the season, they'll sneak one from a tournament team. Maybe they pull one off of Ole Miss or LSU. Okay. But, uh, I mean, they're not 
they're not going to finish above 500, I wouldn't think. Okay, so Georgia, not as bad as we made them look, obviously, but still you don't think they're very good at all. What about Missouri? Because uh, for the first eight minutes of that game or so, Tennessee looked like, okay, here's a trap game. Here's a a team that's going to give Tennessee their best shot. And maybe that's going to be the case the entire season for Tennessee, right, where, where they're the new Kentucky in the SEC. And when Tennessee comes into your building – you have a chance for a resume win. And right. Missouri came out early, and I think if they would have had a good crowd, Tennessee might have you know, <laughs> struggled a little bit. But they're, you know, Tennessee Oh, you're telling like, me Conso can't get crowds in there? I was saying that the crowd wasn't very good at all. I mean, you, I don't know. You hate to see it. I don't know if it's because of the, uh, the students being on break, which I don't know how big of an excuse that is when Tennessee had, you know, what, 20,000 for Tennessee Tech right. when, when students were on break. But – uh, something was missing in that Missouri crowd, and it was you know kind of helped Tennessee stay composed. Now I don't know if a crowd's going to bother this team. I think we'll find that out today yeah. against Florida, right? Like if because I expect Florida to have a good crowd, and Florida is probably looking at this Tennessee game as a chance to make a real statement, like a, a legit statement, and kind of right the wrongs from earlier in their season. But uh, you know Tennessee stared down Missouri and uh, and you know asserted their will on them. Yeah, and the Missouri game was a little different than the Georgia game, obviously, but it was it mostly came down to Missouri started out five of nine from three. It looked like they were gonna hit a lot of stuff. And um that they uh you know, they were hitting some tougher shots. They weren't like wide open, but they weren't necessarily um well guarded, but they weren't gonna hit fifty five percent from three all day. And so, you know, once they cooled off and they finished 3 of 13 the rest of the way from 3, that was it was, you know, smooth sailing for Tennessee for the most part. But I don't think at that point anybody would have expected the 20-plus point win. I was just hoping for the win at that point. Never really got worried, though. Right. It was never a point where I thought Tennessee was going to lose the game. I thought, oh, this is going to go down to the wire, but Tennessee is going to pull it out. It's going to be a closer-than-expected, slightly yeah. disappointing win. That's kind of where I was at. I, I didn't think Tennessee was going to lose, but I did expect to kind of for it to be a game that hangs around the six or seven point mark, and 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 there might be times in the second half where it gets yeah. to two or tied, and wasn't the case. Tennessee dominated without yeah. Grant Williams really doing anything, and Admiral didn't do anything in the first half. No, uh, he, you know, he he cooked he, in the second, but played, played a great second half and helped Tennessee, you know, continue to pull away. But I mean, is that the story of the game? Is just Tennessee's dominance? Without their best two players showing up for a half, and you and you look around and on the road you're still up what nine eleven was it nine or eleven at halftime I think it was 11. eleven yeah you're still up eleven at halftime with your best two players not doing anything like is, is that the big story to take out I think so because game? you know it's something that I didn't really see get reported much was Tennessee started that game uh, you know they're down by nine with what seven minutes left in the first half. Something like that. So with twenty seven in the final twenty seven minutes, they outscored Missouri by thirty three. I mean, that's a bit. You're basically just replayed the Georgia game over again for two thirds of it. Yeah, there was a twenty four to four run, I believe, to end that half. Right, and then it extended into the second half where you kind of kept pushing that further. I don't know exactly what it ended up at. I think the last time I had kept count was like forty one to fourteen. Yeah, forty two to fourteen. And then and then they had hit a three to kind of end that run. That was on that possession where they they got like three or four different offensive rebounds. And I'm yeah. just like, just hit the shot, like yeah. <laughs> in in the run, hit the shot, like let's go on about our business. It was almost set at that point. Tennessee wasn't even trying to you know chase the three point line because the score had gone uh, so wrong in Missouri's way. So Tennessee impressive so far. 
making history. Mm-hmm. First time a team has opened conference play with a, a a margin over thirty points. I believe so. With an average over thirty points, so Tennessee's been historically good. One of those games on the road, they go again on the road. Now, is there any any real disadvantage to having two road games in the same week? Like, is that is that something that's played out? I, I know, like on paper, it looks bad. Like, ah, you had to go to Missouri, come back home just to go to Florida again. But do, do we know if that plays out actually, like in in numbers? Where teams struggle on that second road game, definitely uh, you have to see. I think of it more in the sense of like the the NBA back to backs, okay, that type of where you know you you play for like they used to have the four games in five days. I think they finally eradicated those for the most yeah, part. Yeah, those, those but, are gone. But you know, you used to have those who'd play a lot of basketball in a short amount of time, uh-huh. and the flights really do add up because you know t- Knoxville to Columbia is not a short flight. No, and really Knoxville to Gainesville isn't that short either. So that's a lot of time on a plane, a These lot are- of time spent out of your comfort zone. And so I, I wasn't terribly surprised when they started slow against Missouri. I was surprised how they closed. But I think that will factor in a little bit today, maybe into the start of the game. Is this the second and third longest trip in the SEC? Like Missouri and Florida, like outside of Texas, A&M? Are these the two longest uh, trips? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess you could maybe one of Ole Miss or Mississippi State is longer, but I wouldn't know. Okay. Seems like seems like this is you know, it seems rough to have to make this trip twice in one week. Like I said, to two of the the further places. As it, somebody points out, class started Wednesday too. Okay, so that's a that's another thing to add on top of it. Shout out to Orlando Vidal for watching on the uh, the Periscope for the patrons, or I guess the YouTube for the patrons, commenting along. Um, you got to catch me choke on my own water before the show started. <laughs> I uh, almost drowned myself. But okay, so. You look at this game, the thing that jumps out to me from your your preview for the patrons, patreon.com slash reads ranch, your, your preview of the Florida game, where you just spelled out how good on defense Florida is. You know, a top five defense, mm-hmm. uh, when, when you adjust, is, is that adjusting for like pace? Is that what adjusts? Just is, for is pace and for? for schedule. Okay. But I mean, you know, you even look game by game at how they've played so far. Uh, they gave up, you know, just 63 to Miss, to Michigan State, who's a top 5 team who of course controversially now ahead of Tennessee in that one ESPN bracket. I don't know what I don't know what the hell Joey Brackett is doing. I've always been a Jerry Palm guy myself. Uh gave up 65 to Oklahoma, 61 and 43 to Butler who they played twice. Yeah. Uh you know, 51 the other night to Arkansas. It's a really good defense. That's impressive that they I, I guess the second game was at at Florida, right? The Butler one? Yeah. Yeah. So the first one was a neutral site tournament game, and Butler beat them, and then they made the trip to Gainesville and just got smoked, right? Yeah. Okay. By 34. Yeah. And, you know, in some of those games, you know, the Oklahoma-Butler-Michigan State ones, the first Butler game, obviously, they lost those because they couldn't find enough points on offense. And they and they really could have lost Arkansas the other night as they blew – I believe they blew a 15-point lead in the final five minutes. Yeah, they, they had a 15-point lead, and then it, it, it was, what, a 15-2 to two run to get down to— I guess They got it down to it two a, under a, two a minute. Point, yeah, a two-point a two advantage. Right. So they almost blew that game, and, and Florida hasn't been good in close games. So unless they're going to blow Tennessee out, you would kind of feel good about— Tennessee's been a little bit tested, at least from better teams, right? The, the Kansas and Gonzaga game, both close. Tennessee, one and one in those games. Yeah. And the— the progress they made from game one to game two, right? Like learning what to do after the after the Kansas game and, and the lessons they had against Gonzaga, feel good about compared yeah. to Florida, who hasn't necessarily 
won those close games. This past game against Arkansas was the first time they've done it. And right, traditionally, you know, the better teams, like you go up and down uh, the Ken Palm rankings, the Torvik ones, the better teams over the years, they'll probably win about two-thirds of those games within six to seven points. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously if it's in within one score, it's much more up to who got the lucky shot at the end. But with Florida going one and four in these games, you have to wonder, is that a coaching issue? Is that, you know, they simply can't find offense down the stretch of a game? Uh, because I don't think, it, clearly to me, defense isn't the problem with them. But if, if you're losing games, you know, where you hold teams to 65, 61, 63, 71, that seems to be a long-term problem. So is this Michael White's philosophy just to grind out because they, they grind out their own possessions on offense, right? Like they, yeah. they, they They're run one long, of the slower teams in America. They run long, they run long sets. They, 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 take, they make you defend 25, 26 seconds of the shot clock. And then on defense, of course, they're trying to keep you from shooting the ball for as long as possible. Like, is that just what Michael White always does, or is this just relatively new? He's Well, he's always run a slower-paced offense and has always had a He's always been a defensive specialist coach from what I've followed along with. When he was at Louisiana Tech, he had two top 50 Ken Palm defenses. Uh, 2014, they finished top 50 nationally in Ken Palm and lost in the CUSA final. And then at Florida, you know, he's had, uh, I'm looking at the Torvik numbers here, but they're pretty similar in Ken Palm, four top 20 defenses so far every year. So they always play defense. Yes, but in his eight years as a head coach, they've finished in the top 100 of field goal percentage once. Okay. And so, you know, obviously, you know, not every team's going to have lockdown closeout shooters like Tennessee does right now. But you have to wonder, is, is it his recruiting? Is, it, is he recruiting more athletes than shooters? Because you, you look at Florida's line and who they've played. I don't know if you've gotten to see them play so far. Yeah, no, I've watched them. I watched them play Butler. I watched them play uh, Oklahoma. I think those are the only two I really watched. And, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they just seem disorganized on offense. But mm-hmm. they seem long and athletic. But they seem, yeah. like, they seem like the type of guys who would always come to the gym who look like athletes. But they, they look – maybe this is a little too drastic, but look like a lot of Ponzes out there. Yeah, I would – I don't disagree. Like, it seems like they got a lot, a lot of guys. A lot of Ponzes and, like, a sophomore year Kyle Alexander at center. Yeah, they, they, they seem long, athletic, big – but not necessarily skilled just mm-hmm. yet. Maybe that's a little too extreme, but that's what I see when I watch them. And they they honestly kind of remind me of Jason Kidd era Bucks. Okay, in the way that they're so long, they're so big, but they don't really do any one thing well on offense. Yeah, except for have long and big guys. So like, is is there a length? And you know, Orlando writes in asking if we think Grant's going to have a big game today. Like, do we think that their length down low is going to bother Grant? Because that is a little bit of a concern for me. Because, like I said, these guys are all big, long. Mm-hmm. They look like they look better than they actually play. I think. Yeah. As you can kind of see with their record and already having five losses, but what they have eight eight top one hundred players, so they have a bunch of highly recruited, highly ranked guys. But I think a lot of that's built on like potential and and just athleticism. But still, tall and lanky is tall and lanky, or right. tall and athletics, tall and athletic, and that seems like it might bother Grant a little bit. What do you think? I think it could. That's uh, it's sort of a yes and no answer because Florida ranks twenty uh, third nationally in uh, percentage of shots blocked on defense, so they're really good at blocking shots at the rim. Uh, they're seventh in forcing turnovers. 
they're 14th in steal rate, so it's not just they're you know they're forcing it's not just like opponent errors; it's they're actually forcing these uh, bad plays to happen. And you know they have their top 100, their top 40 actually in every single shooting category on defense, but they do rank 219th in a fouls averaged a game. So Tennessee should be able to draw some fouls, and that yeah. So uh, so so I think like glass, it could it could be a deal where you have struggles actually hitting shots at the rim, but okay. you get fouled. So glass half full, Tennessee might shoot a lot of free throws. Glass half empty. We might see a game where there's 40 fouls each half type of thing. Like yeah, it could it could be a struggle to. We're gonna watch, watch a foul fest today. Could be a two and a half hour game. Oh God. Now uh, another thing I will note is because of you know they, we talked about the length, but really only at center do they have you know tall guys. You have Cavarius Hayes six foot nine, Dante Bassett six nine, Keith Stone six eight, and maybe but probably not Isaiah Stokes six eight. They don't rebound very well. They're very average nationally in both uh, offensive and defensive rebounding. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see Kyle go up against these guys. Yeah, Kyle's I, been I, balling. Kyle was the MVP of the Missouri game for yeah. me, and I and really maybe even of the Georgia game, where he, he you can you can is tell the, is this the two best two games back to back he's played of his career? Seems like it would have to be right. Yeah, at worst two of his top three. Okay. Um, I mean it's. He he's taken a massive step forward over the last week. The I believe it was two four seven did a great article on him and how he's, you know, sort of changed his philosophy and taking a full step forward, um, into you know more of a not as much of a def, I guess more of a defined role you would say, where it's it's not he's not just a rim scorer he's not just a rebounder he's not just a shot blocker he can be all three at once, and he doesn't have to worry about creating. He's kind of stopped worrying about creating offense for the team, and it's helped him in turn create more offense. Yeah, Flor- he, se- he just seems more comfortable. Is what I'm getting at. Florida goes ten deep. They like to play a lot of guys. Yeah, they rank 35th nationally in uh, minutes given to their bench, like nearly 40 percent of minutes. I do think Tennessee is going to be able to handle that though, though, because Tennessee yeah. Tennessee comfortably, I say comfortably, goes eight deep with Lamonte yeah. back. Like when when you look at Bowden, Lamonte, and Fulkerson off the bench, like. Tennessee feels good going at least eight deep, right? Right, and I noted on the uh, the uh, preview uh, yesterday that t- for the first time all season, or actually the second time, first time was Eastern Kentucky, but first time against a good team, Tennessee played all ten players in the rotation okay. against Georgia, okay, and played nine against Missouri with Jalen Johnson not playing. And I don't know if Jalen Johnson will play today. When you look, when you look at how many threes Florida shoots. Mm-hmm. Seems like that wouldn't be a matchup that Jalen Johnson no. would succeed at because <laughs> you know, like the, the Tennessee kind of has to go into a zone defense when when he plays. So you don't want to yeah. go into a two three zone whenever you're playing against a team who wants to to shoot a lot of threes. All right, let's get to a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patriot Falcon Baloo asks: Once Tennessee hits the Elite Eight, what would be the three worst matchups for them to have to play? Worst meaning most difficult. So like, I think Duke is obviously number one on that right. list. So Duke's. Duke's the team you want in the championship for storylines, but that'd also be the the big villain at the end of the uh, video game. So yeah, right, well, so let's, Duke's, let's, Duke's I, number one. I'll gi- I'll give three scenarios here. So it's Tennessee ends up. We'll say in all three, Tennessee ends up has a one or two seed. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I think at this point you'd have to have probably five or six losses in conference play to fall to a three. Now I, I think Tennessee will comfortably be a one or a two. I don't, I don't think. I don't think that's a reach at this point at all. Like it, maybe that doesn't end up happening, but from what we've seen so far in this season, Tennessee should be a one or a two. 
Right. So Duke, I think, is an easy number one on that list. No one in the country wants to defend Zion Williamson. It, not, like it's going to be hard for anyone to both accept that challenge and to succeed at that challenge. How is Tennessee's? How is Tennessee's zone defense? It's pretty good. It ranks in the, I believe, the 83rd percentile nationally. So I, it's a very good zone defense. So it does seem like that's what you're going to have to do to beat Duke. And and honestly, I'd kind of try to shield off the basket a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. what Gonzaga had, you know, success with yeah. for a lot of that game before they ran out of gas. Was you know, they they bothered uh, Duke with the zone. Now, obviously, that was like game four, five, six for Duke, and yeah. you would think that Coach K would have a little bit better of a, you know, some answers come into the season, but that's just for when I watch Duke. When you when you do switch to zone, you can bother them a little bit. So I was curious how Tennessee's zone defense. And one thing I forgot to put in the Florida preview is that Florida ranks uh, in the 13th percentile in zone offense. So I would not be surprised at all to see Barnes throw that out for a few possessions today. Okay. Um. So let's say, like, scenario two, you're a one seed, you grab a two seed in the Elite Eight. Two or a three. Okay. Uh, I would not particularly look forward to drawing Gonzaga again uh, because I, th- I thought, one, I think Gonzaga's had the best offense Tennessee's played all year, bar none. Uh, they got shooters. You have Hachimura, who mostly was slowed down in that game, but mm-hmm. even when he slowed down, you had Clark take over, and Clark looked phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I have no interest in playing them again, to be okay, honest. Okay, so you have Gonzaga as a yeah. two. I think that would surprise people because – I think that would surprise people because Tennessee beat Gonzaga. But it was by three in a game that, you know, on, on average you trailed for most of the game. Sure. Okay. And then let's say here's a scenario where maybe Tennessee draws like a, a lower seed in the Elite Eight. Like it's a six or a seven. One of those plucky teams that, you know, catches fire at the right time. A lot of, like a obviously Loyola from last and year. And this could be a team that you play in the Sweet 16 as well. Like this is a who I have been wondering that because whenever we get these questions I kind of just think at the top of the the rankings who are the potential 4, 5, 6 seeds who are going to be uh a bad matchup for Tennessee. Uh the the one that makes me uh most fearful is Virginia Tech with Buzz, really? Buzz Williams the head coach. They have been on fire so far, fourteen and one. The one they're loss, top ten. They're a top ten team, right? Yeah, their one loss was to Penn State by a point on the road. Okay, so they're they're a point away from fifteen and zero. Uh, they they haven't really hit the meat of their schedule yet, but they beat Purdue, uh, they beat Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. They play at Virginia on Tuesday, so that'll be a good litmus test to see how good they really are. But this is probably the best team they've had in quite some time. Interesting. I, I would not be interested in uh, playing them in the Sweet Sixteen. Aside from them, uh, those Sweet 16 matchups that I do find a little fear in, Nevada, obviously, you saw how good they were last year in the tournament. They came back from what felt like 50 down to beat Cincinnati, came back and beat Texas in the first round, and they brought back all but one player from that team. Right now, they're in the top 15 on Ken Palm, but they are playing a light schedule. So it seems like they'll be in that 4-6 to six range. Ron Hudson asks, who are our top three Gator villains? In basketball. Hmm. Matt Bonner is very high on this list for me. Matt Bonner? Yeah. I feel like Tennessee has had such success against Florida. I haven't really... Especially against their top teams. Yeah, like I haven't really grown to really hate anybody. Like I I hate Chandler Parsons. Yeah, okay. I would would put him in my... 
like in Chan- my three, then. Chandler Parsons isn't really a villain because I don't feel like he did anything really against Tennessee in college, but he just – I've always hated him because of his time at Florida, and then, you know, his time in the NBA has made that hate grow. Mm-hmm. I have a really – I have a confession. I don't know how dark it is, but I always liked Joe Kim Noah – and Al Horford. I liked all those guys. And they Corey were fun Brewer. Dudes. Like yeah. Corey Brewer being from Tennessee. Like I, I always liked that team. And maybe it helped that Tennessee went three and one against that 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 national championship back to back squad. But I didn't really hate those guys. I understand if you want to make Joe Kim Noah. Like I think a lot of people would say he's he's their number one, but I always kind of liked them. Yeah. I, I loved Horford. Noah was fun. And like I said, Tennessee was three and one against them, so it wasn't like there were, you know, too many moments where they they beat you and rubbed it in type of thing. Yeah, uh, they they didn't have like truly hateable players in those teams. I would say, as just as a pure basketball fan, there are a few players at Florida or really in the SEC I hated watching more than Patrick Young. Yeah, who had all the skills and all the physical build necessary. He is he and Schofield are the two most well built players I've seen play in person at at Tennessee. Who was it Missouri had? Missouri had a guy like that, too. Oh, um, it wasn't Mike Porter. It was before No, him, yeah, right? it was before that. It was like Conzo's like second year when we beat when we pounded them. Missouri always had like just guys who were, looked like they should be so much better than they were. But Patrick Young definitely uh fits that fits that mold. Was it Jabari Brown? Probably. I mean yeah. I, I don't know. I feel I feel like they had a couple of just big centers that you thought should have been better than they were whenever was it Jordan Clarkson played there? Jordan Clarkson, yeah. They had some big post guys at that point, but yeah, Young is just like a a waste of space. He he was one of those guys that was you know built yeah. built like Tarzan plays like Jane type of thing. Never really hated him. I will I would say like Scotty Scotty Wil- Wilbekin. Yeah, Scotty Wilbekin had this weird deal where he would drive into the paint, go up for a layup, and then turn around like do a one eighty and flip it out for a three. Yeah, and it got us every single time. Yeah, like both those guys just have really punchable faces too. Yeah, like both Chandler Parsons and Scotty Wilbekin just look like the look like douchebags. Like I, I don't want to associate with them. They look like somebody you'd want to punch. Those were probably the two that jumped out to me. It's weird. If you ask me about Kentucky, I got a bunch of names. If you yeah. ask me even about Vanderbilt, I got names. Florida, I know it's been a rivalry, but it seems like this is one that we've gotten the better of recently. What what, what are our recent numbers against Florida? I feel like they've been fairly pretty good. I have to run it back again, but in the Barnes era alone, Tennessee is uh, two and one against them. Okay, because you've only had the you've only had the one game every year because of the fourteen teams. Is now. that is that the same way this year? No, we Florida comes to Tennessee this they year. They come right? back, so it's back on the home and home that it was forever. Okay, okay. let me see if we got any other questions coming through. Um, yeah, that, Ryan talks about uh, Alex Oriaki. Oriaki, yeah. That was the guy from Missouri I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. That was the guy Wasn't from, he like a UConn transfer, or am I yeah. thinking of someone else? No, I think he is. That's the guy That's the guy I was thinking of, though. Uh, let's see if we got any other questions in here in this chat. Um, Tennessee, he, he says he thinks Florida's going to hit too many threes today, and we'll have to you know gut out a win at the end. I, I could see it, because you, you know, as I mentioned in the piece— Florida uh, shoots forty three percent of their shots from three. That that's as high of a rate as Tennessee's going to play all season, and so you know Tennessee's been pretty good about closing out on threes for the most part, and really 
from about the 10-minute mark onward of that Missouri game, they were phenomenal in closing out on the perimeter, outside of the one possession you mentioned where they got three shots. Uh, I thought, you know, if they can continue that streak of perimeter defense going forward, and they've been pretty good. Uh, You know, the only game we've noted where they really got roasted from three for any stretch of time was Louisville, and that was just Louisville hitting tough shots. Sure. So I, I, um, I don't know. I could see that. But it's going to require a real leap of efficiency from guys on Florida who have not been efficient in hitting threes all season. All right, so give me your biggest worry about Tennessee in this game. What's your what's your biggest concern uh, for Tennessee's chances of going three and zero in the SEC? I think it's always going to be road officiating in the SEC. Uh, not that Florida has been the toughest place to play in the last five years. But it's always a worry for me going on the road to a tough environment in the SEC where the team really does need to win. Because, okay. you know, Florida, Florida's 1-1, one and one, so it's not as desperate as it appeared before Wednesday. But they really need, and Mike White especially, really needs a signature premier win to, you know, sort of restate his brand and right the ship going forward. Because They're not I, happy. They're no, not, Florida fans aren't happy with Michael White right now. His approval rating is dwindling. Yeah, not happy at all. Uh, so, yeah, this is a desperate time for them. So, officiating, um, your biggest – Tennessee's biggest strength in this game, in your opinion. The one thing that you you think Tennessee should uh, do well. I'll, I'll answer this as – because I also got a tweet about this uh, from when I uh, retweeted yours about uh, what the most overlooked stat that shows how good this team is. Okay, so, yeah, we'll kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, so it's Tennessee's transition offense. Uh, you know, maybe – might not be as much of someone – noticing it full-time, but Tennessee's had one of the very best offenses in the nation uh, by any metric. I think they're, they are top three on both Ken Palm and Bart Torvik now. And you, for the first time in a, I'm using a, it's hoopmath.com. I know that's a, a very on-brand site for me to be using. Yeah, nerd. Yeah. So prior to this year, Tennessee had finished in the top 100 nationally and field goal efficiency in transition once. And that was in the Donnie Tindall year when they okay. didn't really run out in transition. Yeah, this year they rank seventh in the nation among all teams, Power Five, Group of Five, whatever. Ninety uh, seventh percentile in synergy. They rarely turn it over. Admiral Schofield, I think, at last count, he was at twenty five field goal attempts in transition. He'd made twenty two, including every two pointer he's taken. Okay, so Tennessee's been. I don't think of them as a team that really gets out and runs too much. No, but the, I, it's not as much as their running team as is, is they they pick their spots. They know how to do it. Like you saw the bone play against Missouri when Tennessee really needed a basket. He just sped down to the other court, got a layup. Like he he caught them napping. And, and one of the be- one of the bigger plays in that game was the Alexander block that led into an, another dunk. So yeah, there's there, yeah. there have been a couple of big ones, but they're very opportunistic. And when they pick their spots, they've been really good at it. Yeah. Okay, so Tennessee as a transition team. Okay. That's a good stat. And, and, you know, Florida, of course, it's going to be an elite defense. But if you get a couple of those early, like the bone coast-to-coast layups, or maybe you get a good outlet pass to somebody, you're going to force Florida to stay off the offensive boards, which would be huge. Okay. Because Florida's going to have to get back. Okay, okay, okay. Any updates in the SEC power rankings that we did from last week? Like, did any team stand out to you, either good or bad this week? I'm pretty impressed at South Carolina being uh, 2-0. and didn't see that coming. Really. No, not at all. Because I, I thought I, they were in trouble this year. Well, I had them pegged as the worst team in the conference, and now all of a sudden they're two and zero. And who who they beat? They no, Ole Miss beat Auburn. Uh, they beat Florida and Florida. Mississippi State. Okay, Both Florida. of them are going to be tournament teams. Okay, so yeah, Mississippi State is is a good team. So yeah, South Carolina off to a good start. So maybe uh, you place them now where? 
in, uh, in, in your hmm. rankings? I'd probably put them like eleventh, twelfth. Okay, still, so I, I'm still waiting because it's two and zero. Oh. Okay, I got to see more through the first half of the season, but that's a good start for a team. You know, they lost to Stony Brook. They lost to someone else that was not very good. Yeah, they have two. They had two really bad out of conference losses. So to see them do that is encouraging for fans of the Gamecocks on the the path forward. Uh, the the big move to me, I think, is now we have to accept Ole Miss as one of the top four teams in the SEC. Okay, replacing Florida. Okay. I I was really really impressed with what they did to Auburn uh, this week. They they it, it was start to finish a total beatdown. Uh, my you know Auburn got a little hot in the second half. Okay, but that, my, that was about my, my it. question. My question on the radio after that game was because I didn't watch any of it. Do we take that more as Auburn not as good as we thought, or just Ole Miss is actually a, a big time threat? I think Ole Miss might be a threat. Okay, because you know. It, Shout out to Kermit Davis. Well, that's the thing is, and I was going to, you know, obviously they don't have a strong basketball history. Prior to Andy Kennedy, they'd made four tournaments ever. And so, you know, I kind of made fun of Kennedy when he was there, but, you know, he did get him to two tournaments. So, but, you know, it's it's funny to me now, because it was never to me that they had a lack of talent mm-hmm. or a lack of skilled players. Like, they had Marshall Henderson, who was really good. They had a bunch of guys on that team who were good. But now they have a real basketball coach. Oh, Marshall Henderson. Haven't thought of him in a while. Haven't, haven't thought of him in a while. Did you see where that Ole Miss blog uh, interviewed the dad in the Marshall Henderson Auburn GIF? No. It's, no. it's a really good interview. That's funny. But, yeah, the, it, it, this is what happens when you give a talented team real coaching. Kermit, is one, Kermit was, prior to Barnes' arrival, probably the best coach in the state of Tennessee. Okay. And uh, so Ole Miss, Ole Miss is a legitimate threat. That those yeah. are your two things that have jumped out to you from the SEC. South Carolina, uh, not the worst team in the conference anymore. Who's the worst team in the conference? Probably still A and M. Okay, I, I I I haven't really seen anything to change that. I think they're they're going to be facing a tough question at year end with Billy Kennedy. Okay, and uh, Austin Watson he he writes in on the YouTube stream says he feels like we're going to get some respect from the SEC refs with the number three next to our name. Probably, but you. It's a road game in the SEC. You can't trust them. Tennessee, we said they're going to get teams' best shots, like Kentucky. Like it's it's a it's a resume defining win for teams when Tennessee's on the schedule now, which is a really good thing. Hopefully, that means you also get the Kentucky whistle, right? Like the benefit of the doubt that Austin's yeah. talking about. And I th- I think you I thought we kind of did in the Missouri game, was especially like when you when you needed it later in that first half, you're getting some more foul calls. And part of that was just Tennessee was more aggressive getting to the rim, but it always helps when t- when refs know that you are a good team. Yeah, like when, whenever whenever you're in the spotlight and you know, wow, these admiral admiral and Grant, like these are awesome players. Well, if they miss, there's a higher chance that they got actually fouled. Yeah, like we complain about that with Kentucky. We complained about it with Michael Jordan, with LeBron James, and all those people. But usually, there's something kind of to that. Yeah. All right. I appreciate you coming in and talk basketball. Quick thoughts on Cheney. Like, uh, where, where does Cheney rank in terms of offense? Uh, you know, when you look at the numbers, how do Tennessee fans feel about Cheney and, and his offensive efficiency and all that? Where do you grade this higher? I think he's, I think he's pretty good. It's not going to be uh, like an immediate, you know, I don't think it's uh, like a top three, top five coordinator hire, but I also don't know if that was possible given where Tennessee football is at right now. Maybe like a Bryles or somebody would have done that for you, but I think Cheney is a good to very good hire. Um, there are still some play calling concerns with him. If you watch Georgia at any point this year in a close game, 
They really, I, I was really unimpressed with their fourth quarter play calling against Alabama. I thought it was extremely conservative for how that game was trending. And uh, I don't take anything from that Texas loss. I thought the whole team had checked out by then anyway. Uh, but I, I still think when, when it comes down to it, Tennessee probably couldn't get a better quarterback developer out there. Okay. He so made that, he made Bray into you know Bray for all his faults was an exceptional quarterback at Tennessee and Jonathan Crompton and Crompton and at Georgia he he turned a true freshman in Fromm into what a would you say a top two quarterback in the SEC top three I don't know because he had just a lot of talent around him and they didn't ask him to do too much but Fromm usually did show up in the big games he, he definitely yeah. developed him and had him ready to play but. Um, I, I don't know where I'd rank him in the SEC. I wasn't overly impressed with Fromm, but I thought he was good enough. Yeah. So I, I give him credit for definitely having him ready. But I, I think the big thing for me that I, I did not see much from Tennessee this year is clearly, at least in most of the games I've seen from Georgia the last couple of years, Cheney knows how to get the ball to his best players and get them all good touches. Because, you know, I, what what game was it this year? It might have been the Georgia game where Ty Chandler had four or five touches the whole way. It wasn't Georgia because they definitely gave him the ball a lot in the second half, I feel like. One, one of those games maybe, he had maybe five it touches. Was, maybe it was Georgia, but I just remember him having that long touchdown catch. But maybe he didn't get the ball otherwise. Maybe you're right. I, I just know that there was really an effort to get him the ball after a certain point, and maybe it was after the Georgia game, so maybe you're right. Yeah. I, I just I, – I feel – Obviously, I think this is an upgrade from Helton. I feel more confident in Cheney than I ever really did in Helton because there's just a lot of concerns even coming in about, I like the Helton hire, but it was never really clear to me if he'd called plays before, and I think we saw this season he hadn't. He never really had a feel outside of the Kentucky game and the second half of that Auburn game for how to call a game. All right. Appreciate everyone for watching on the live stream. Appreciate the questions. Uh, if you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash Ranch. Me and $2 Will, a month, that's all. Me and Will will be at Hops and Hollers watching the game today. We're uh, I'm undefeated there this year, 2-0, with wins over Gonzaga and Memphis. So come hang out if you need a place to watch the game, watch the NFL playoffs, all that good stuff. Love you guys. Talk to you later. On the way out, though, just want to remind you about our friends at Healthy Bean Organic Coffee. Athletes, new best friend, pre-workout, post-workout, protein, packed with antioxidants, low-acid coffee, all natural and organic heart health. It's a huge bonus for anyone dieting. It, it assists with weight loss. Healthybeancoffee.com. Use the promo code RANCHGANG for a discount and to show them that you rock with us. All right. See you guys later.